2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5. This is God's holy and infallible word. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Remember, this is to Pastor Timothy. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Uh, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. That's God's word. Again, remember, 2 Timothy is written to Pastor Timothy, uh, but of course, it's for all God's people. It's for all of us, these words. I don't know if you looked in the bulletin, or you do look in the bulletin at the sermon titles. You probably do sometimes, not other times, but uh, forget the mess, embrace the mission is our theme this morning, and, and the mess I'm thinking of is this election. I mean, what more can be said? More than ever before, I think ever in history, thoughtful and faithful Christians are coming out in different ways on just what to think and what to do this year. The mess I'm thinking of is our country today. A lot of Christians and non-Christians alike feel things are kind of a mess in America. And you know, I'm thinking of the mess that is our lives sometimes. The literal mess of homes with little kids spilling things, taking out toys, Teenagers' bedrooms that they are unwilling to clean. The figurative mess in our minds, in our hearts, and emotions of unexpected tragedy, bad news, worry for ourselves, our loved ones. Wednesday night was awesome, wasn't it? The Cubs won. It's so much fun to celebrate. Couldn't we just write in Benny Sobers on Tuesday? His father's a pastor. He's so open about his Christian faith, and you know, he makes things happen. Unfortunately, the Cubs, and we know this, they can't solve all the world's problems. But there is something that can. It's God's grace in Jesus, and we've got it. We know it, and we can live it, and we are. God's word, I think, this morning elevates us from the mass to our mission. And these verses remind us of that mission. They show us how to embrace it and be engaged in it in four ways. I'm going to use four key words. Just go right through these verses. The first key word is presence. Live in the presence of God. Paul's giving young pastor Timothy a charge in our verses. It's for him as a pastor It applies to all of us building God's household here because, of course, pastors lead churches. And when we read about the pastor's work and mission, that's, well, it's directly connected to our work and our mission together as God's people, of course. The heart of the charge is verse 2, but Paul leads into it with this 
profound and solemn language in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and then these three powerful realities about Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearance and his kingdom. He reminds Timothy, he reminds all of us that we live in the presence of God. We're in a day and age where we feel like we're being watched all the time. And I think we kind of are. Red light cameras, internet tracking. If you've got a smartphone, I mean, and maybe any other kind of phone for that matter, they, they know right where you are at any given time. This is one of the reasons people think are such a mess. There's no privacy. Government or whoever can track our every move. Someone uh, told me just a few weeks ago about a Google Maps feature called Timeline. Have you heard of that? Have you seen that when you, you checked out all the, the options in Google Maps, Maps? I checked it out. It shows every place you've ever been, I think basically since you carried a, a smartphone. And for me, it lists 330 unique places in the last number of years, mostly around here, some in Michigan, some in Wisconsin. Every house I spend a little time at every store. And if I go to a certain date, it shows to the hour and minute where I was through the course of that whole day. You should check this out. One random day last March, and it happened to be the first one that popped up when I looked at it again for this message, it showed me the exact minute, hour, when I arrived at the Westmont fitness club to play basketball early in the morning. It showed me at my house a little hour to shower and change. It showed me in the office here at church. It showed me out to lunch for just a bit. Then back in the office, it showed me at Knollcrest. It showed how many minutes I was driving in between those places. And it gave a, gives a map tracking the driving routes in between. So this is kind of cool, but maybe more kind of scary, Right? Some people get very, very uptight about all this. But for the Christian, we don't worry so much about being watched because we know we live in the presence of God. We know that what he sees is profoundly more important than what any human being sees or even what the government might keep track of. So much bigger, so much more important For the Christian, this awareness of living in the presence of God, it's a tremendous comfort. But it's not for the non-believer. It's something to be feared. Paul says here, he will judge the living and the dead. People will have to give account for their lives. Everything they've done, every place they've been, he tracks it all, and he always has. But if you belong to him, you know that though God sees your every mistake, he erases that history for the sake of Jesus. Paul mentions his appearance. Well, Jesus appeared in history for our salvation and for the cleansing of our sins. And all who call on his name can enter this kingdom 
that Paul talks about. To those who believe in Jesus, it's a comfort to live in God's presence too because we can trust that he's going to settle the score on the last day. He's going to clean up the mess. No more sin, no more defiance against God, no more disease or death. Living in the presence of God means we are safe, we are well, we can trust in God, and we can leave the rest. And you know, I think it gives a bit of necessary pressure on us too. God is watching. We will have to give account. Will he find us faithful in our lives and calling and in the mission of the church? We know that in Jesus, despite our, our shortcomings, our laziness in our Christian life sometimes, we know that when we belong to Jesus, he will accept us for sure. We have that comfort. But don't we want to be sure we are being as faithful as we can be? Do you want to disappoint your God even one bit? I know I don't. We want him to be proud of each one of us, proud of Faith Church. So may he find us giving our all, giving our best, because uh, we live in his presence. The second word that reminds us of our mission is preaching. Preach the word of God, and this is verse 2. There are a few components to the charge after Paul says preach the word of God, but the overarching call is preach the word. And this is, these verses actually are probably the most common text uh, used in an ordination service. You know what that is? That's when someone becomes a pastor in a church because of that charge. Uh, the calling is clear, it's straightforward. It's not complicated to interpret. It's not tricky. Preach the word. And yet preachers forget this central calling. Churches can forget it. There are a lot of tasks of, of preacher, and I know you, you don't all believe that. You know, we kind of joke that it must be nice to have a job that's uh, two hours a week for me and Matthew, 9.30 to 10.30 on Sunday morning, 6 to 7 Sunday night, but... There's a little more to it. There's, you know, connecting with people, administration, leading meetings, planning the writing agendas and weddings and funerals and visits and planning and time to study. We, we do stuff with classes, our local area of churches, our denominational responsibilities. We're involved in the community, of course. And I, I've, Matthew and I have talked about this before. I think we both, that's kind of cool to have a job that has that much variety, um, we enjoy that. But the main task, the central task, number one, is preach the word. Preachers can't forget that as they plan their time. The people of the church, you can't forget it either in, in what you want us to do and in your expectations. We call preaching, you know, the central means of grace. That's a word we use. The means of grace, the main means of grace. And that means that Mysteriously, as we proclaim God's word faithfully, preaching empowers God's people. It's mysterious. It's kind of unexpected, so much so that Paul elsewhere calls preaching foolishness 
to the world because how could preaching, someone talking, have this power or do something? But God has chosen preaching to be his central, primary avenue of grace, which empowers and equips his people. In Romans 14 and following, Paul talks about people calling on Jesus, believing in Jesus, knowing him, following him, all those most important things. And it happens, he says, through hearing God's word. And then he says, and how do we hear God's word? Well, through the preaching of the word. There's no doubt about it, about what the Bible says about the primacy of preaching. When I'm reminded of that, and we are reminded of that in our text, I think of the power of our media today. I'm, the power of, of um, the videos we make on our phones to entertain ourselves, the power that we can do that, and it's hilarious. I, I think of Cleveland's field with the largest screen in the major leagues. I mean, it's massive. I think of IMAX theaters. I saw last December Star Wars The Force Awakens on one of those screens with my dad and my brother. Incredible concerts today. Uh, The deep bass, the lights, the videos behind the band. I mean, you got to think, how can preaching the word compete with all of that? And that's why churches will try to compete with all that in different ways. Try to compete with uh, the multimedia experience. But I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake. Because they say, despite all the technology and media today, the most powerful message today still comes through a man simply standing in front of people and speaking from his heart. That's what the research tells us. That is still the most powerful thing. It remains the most powerful medium of all. God knew about technology that would come, and he knew his means of grace would always prevail. And of course, in faithful preaching, it's not just about a man speaking from the heart, though that's part of it, but it's, 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 Studying God's word and understanding and speaking that word faithfully with the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And there's power in that. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word, church. I don't think the command is just for pastors. I think implicit here is the congregation's call to support this. The elders' call to ensure the preaching is sound and relevant and full of grace. But I don't think... It's just about sermons because in Jesus, we are all prophets, priests, and kings. We all proclaim God's word as we live it. Uh, The biblical words for hearing God's word, for hearing, you know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. Those ancient words for hearing God's word by definition, included living that word. Shema in the Old Testament, akuo in the New. Hearing and preaching the word inevitably mean 
living it, obeying it. And you know what? Parents and kids get this. You can hear a a mom or a dad saying to their kids, did you hear what I said about making your bed and picking up your clothes, Olivia and Hannah? Oops, did I say their names out loud? Think about it. When you say, did you hear me? It means more than take it in through your ears. It means, did you hear me? And then did you do what I asked you to do? The phrase hearing the word in the Bible is by definition obeying it, living it. So we all proclaim the word with lives lived for the Lord. Paul says in season and out of season all the time, whether you're ready or not, whether you're, you're feeling up for living for Jesus today or not, or you're kind of low, good times and in bad, we proclaim God's word, uh, each one of us, in all we do, all the time. Our third word is priority. Make the mission of God your priority. And verses 3 and 4 give us the reason for this charge to us and Timothy. Paul starts out those verses, for the time will come. And he goes on. Well, I think that the time he's talking about has come. Time has come. One pastor who I agree with says that this prophetic word, talking about the time to come, covers all of history in a sense. When you think about uh, the word being preached, Jesus described it once in the parable of the sower. And there, God's word only took root in one of the four soils. And that means many will reject the word of God. Just like a dog likes to be scratched behind the ears, people want their ears, in the words of the Bible, to be scratched by words that they want to hear. People love to hear something different, something sensational. Even in the church, people can be looking and listening for what pleases them, what affirms them in their opinions and their lifestyles. In fact, There are arenas filled by preachers today telling people what they want to hear about money, what they want to hear about politics, entertaining them, teaching them false doctrines. The times are here. The times are urgent. For all the faithful churches in the world, we must make the true preaching of God a priority. That's what needs our energy. That's what needs your commitment. We get sidetracked. We It's possible to spend all kinds of time and energy on this election and on politics. We can waste hours on opinion articles, hours listening to talk radio, browsing the internet. We can agonize what will follow if this or that happens. And it's a shame if Christians are doing this. It's a shame. We want to be informed. We want to be good Christians, but it can get so far beyond that, we can get obsessed by it. Absolutely obsessed by stuff that is not the main thing. Obsessed and drawn into this mess instead of doing our mission. I think of the hours that Christians spend elsewhere that could have been spent in prayer, in serving in the church, helping those in need, building the kingdom of God. This election is going to be a blip on the screen of history. 
But what we're building here has eternal significance. No candidate or party that I've ever heard of is concerned about building the kingdom of God. Not a single one. We are, though, and we do it when we worship, when we serve God in the church and in all our living. When you look at the mess today with people hearing what they want to hear, people doing what they want to do, never before has it been more important for God's people to make God's mission their priority. The charge that we've been given, that's where it's at for you, for your loved ones, for this world. The rest is passing away. The final word this morning, passion. How do we embrace God's mission? Live in the presence of God. Preach the word of God. Make it your priority. And finally, make it your passion. Alistair Begg is a preacher I admire. And he says it's hard to do much better than verse 5 for him as a constant reminder of his work as a pastor. And like I've been saying, there's a real sense in that this charge, it's for all of God's people. He says he finds these reminders helpful almost any time. You know, Monday mornings, he's maybe a little groggy facing the week ahead. And he says to himself, well, here we go, Alistair. I must keep my head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, which means sharing the gospel sharing the good news and word and deed and, and do the duties of my ministry. When all is well, when things are kind of tough, when he's got the joy and excitement when he's dragging, when the church is thriving, when the church is struggling, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, share the gospel, do your duties. Those kinds of constant reminders to stay on task are important in life. And things that are our passion, we sort of easily and automatically remind ourselves of, right? And we keep it before us. When it's your passion, if it's your passion, you can't stop reminding yourself because you can't stop thinking about your passions. It's always crossing your mind. This was a week of passion with the Cubbies, wasn't it? For those who were into it, you were thinking about those games when you woke up during the day, reliving those moments, remembering those plays, the last game, Fowler's homer on the fourth pitch of the game, Zobris RBI double in the 10th, Ross's home run, Rizzo's jittery excitement, Bryant's smile as he was picking up the ball for the final throw and out at first base. If it's your passion, it crosses your mind a lot, all the time. Now, passion for the Cubs, that's a part-time passion, right? It's a part-time passion. Our full-time passion is our mission for God. Each one of us living for Jesus with all our hearts, building the church, which is his special household to gather his people and keep them and, and grow them and equip them to share Jesus. Out of the mess, the church is the place of comfort and purpose for people. Just think of this passion for the Cubs. 
108 years of passionate fans, a passion passed down from generation to generation. You know, my grandpa Schuringo was a Cubs fan. He, he skipped school to get into one of the 1945 World Series games. And because of him, all his kids and grandkids, me and all my cousins, became Cubs fans. I thought until this past week that uh, we were kind of unique in that as a family. <laughs> but you heard interview after interview after interview of people with the same story. It was amazing. People so thankful that their grandpa or their dad gave them this passion for the Cubs and how they wished that their loved one was alive for that day if, if he or she wasn't with us anymore. There are people visiting gravesides after the World Series. And then, what happened on Friday? That 108 years of passion culminated, and I know some of you went to the rally and parade. Olivia, my oldest, went with Emily DeBoer and Steve DeBoer and Ryan. Unbelievable. The seventh largest gathering of humanity ever. The largest gathering of people ever in the U.S., largest anywhere ever for an athletic event. Democrats, Republicans, young, old, every profession, every color, all united in celebration for the Cubs. People singing, people climbing the lampposts. Now think about this, what I said earlier. Cubs passion, it's a part-time passion. All that we've experienced this season is just a foretaste of our full-time passion. Our full-time passion, friends, spans all of history, a little more than 108 years. God coming down in love to save fallen humanity, his people responding in faith, messing it up. He sends Jesus to make it possible for us to, to respond to faith. A passionate love for God and a love for our neighbor that we pass down from generation to generation. And one day, everybody who has that great passion, we're going to be part of the greatest gathering of humanity ever. You thought five million was a lot. Try 500 million, maybe more. Who knows? All those who have confessed the name of Jesus from all of history throughout time, all around the world. And you know who's going to join in that throng too? Angels. Angels. John saw the vision in Revelation. Then I looked, I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And we read every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them will join in and sing along. We'll be hoarse from all the shouting and the worship and singing, unless, unless maybe you can't get hoarse in heaven, so the praise of our God will never, ever cease. This is where we're headed. What a joy to get a small foretaste of that this past week here in Chicago. Friends, you and I, we can step out of the mess. You can embrace God's mission. Our God will win being on his team and living like it. That's 
our full-time passion. Go, church, go. Go.